I often refer to the scripture that faith without works is dead. And so for me, the advocacy piece is so important. Definitely my faith has has kept me going. I'm Mitch. And I'm Missy. We're co-workers. He's the boss and we're married. And she's the boss. Together, we host Good Faith Weekly, a podcast on faith and culture. What could possibly go wrong? Tune in and find out. Missy. Welcome to Good Faith Weekly. This week's episode is going to be a little different. Missy had to be out of the studio this week. Uh, She did sit down with me and Charmaine Brown earlier in the week to talk about gun safety. And you're going to hear a little bit about that later on in the episode. And it is a delightful conversation. Very, very thought provoking. And you're going to want to hear Charmaine's story who lost a son to gun violence. But first up, lots going on in the news, the State of the Union. We are We'll unpack that all next week, but the most pressing issue this week is the devastating earthquake in Turkey and Syria. Right now, it is talking, I mean, we're hearing astronomical numbers of those that were killed by this 7.8 earthquake in Turkey. We sat down, or I sat down this week with the executive director of the Rainbow Turkish House here in Oklahoma to talk about his family who lives in Turkey, what they are experiencing and the relief efforts that are taking place, not only in Turkey, but here on the state side as well. So hope you enjoy this interview and we'll be back. We're joined by a very special guest today. Mohamed Ali Cesar is the executive director and CEO of Dialogue Institute of Oklahoma and the Raindrop Turkish House in Oklahoma. As many of you are aware, there was a devastating earthquake that took place this week in Turkey and Syria. So far, there are over 11,000 confirmed dead, and that death toll is going to continue to rise, and the devastation across those two countries is catastrophic. So, Mohamed, first of all, Our hearts go out to you and your family and your people back in Turkey and those around in Syria. My first question of this, how are you and your family doing? So, um, first of all, thank you so much for the invite, uh, Mitch. Um, You know, words cannot describe how devastated we are as a community after hearing the earthquake, devastating earthquake in Turkey. Sunday evening, I was driving back home from Dallas. I got a message from a friend. He said, um, we are praying for you and for your family and sorry for the people of Turkey. So as soon as I saw the message, I was uh, surprised and shocked because I didn't know what he was talking about. I checked the news immediately and saw uh, the earthquake, um, 7.8 magnitude earthquake happened in southeastern Turkey, in and um, and immediately I thought I have to call my parents and check if they are okay, safe. Call mom. At that time, they were in, in the car and waiting um, because earthquake. I think it can happen around seven four four seventeen in the morning. So mom said we were sleeping. All of a sudden, we woke up because of the earthquake. Um, I I just like you know um I I had difficulty putting on my clocks because we were shaking really bad and I've never seen such a thing in my life before. And how far were so, your parents away from the epicenter? 
I can say maybe like, you know, um, a couple of hundred miles away from the wow. center. Okay. Thank you. The earthquake has been felt in 10 cities, 10 major cities, including my hometown. Mm. Um, yes, we don't have any casualties in my hometown, but um, what I hear from my, from my parents and from my relatives is that there are a lot of damages in the buildings, lots of cracks because of the earthquake, devastating earthquake. Well, the images coming out of Ankara and other cities around the the epicenter are just horrifying. Uh, the fact that it, uh, like you said, it happened so early in the morning when most families were at home and in bed, uh, and then the, the the falling of buildings, the collapsing of buildings with families in them sleeping, it's just it's just mind boggling. It's terrifying. It's just heartbreaking. Uh, there's just really no words to, to describe what we're seeing. So can you tell us about the relief efforts on the ground? I know there's there's still rescue efforts going on, but uh, what's going on in the ground uh, near the epicenter? So what I hear and see on the news um, and from the friends and relatives is that, um, yes, rescue workers are still working to survive people, um, especially the, like, you know, those um, who are trapped under collapsed buildings. Um, so you can imagine uh, the, um, you can imagine that like in all these 10 major cities, metro cities, a lot of people are still um, under the collapsed buildings, under rubble. And, um, and some of the places that they haven't been able to reach because of the road condition, because of the like, you know, weather condition, it has been snowing, it has been cold, and freezing temperature. Um, I was talking talking with like you know, friends that um, why don't you go to like you know other places like you know safe places uh, safe parts, but they said we cannot drive we cannot fly because um, you know airports um, they they are closed um, they are damaged um, road, roads are are collapsed and they cannot drive so technically they are trapped in the middle of the epicenter. Some people started fleeing uh, the epicenter and going to other places where they have family members, relatives, and friends um, to to like you know uh, to be safe. But most of them, they are waiting in epicenters uh, for relief efforts. And um, also, what I seen and understand is is that um, the organizations, nonprofits, government agencies trying to help, but that there's not enough. Uh, relief efforts because because of the the size of the earthquake because of the like you know um, also the, the the region that that has been affected by the earthquake so um, they are doing their best government agencies um, all the like you know organizations nonprofits uh, community like you know organizations are doing their best to uh, continue um, helping the victims but. So far, a lot of people are telling that um, they haven't been helped yet. Yeah. So, and I guess that's my next question because, you know, after two days of the initial shock and the horror of the images that are coming from Turkey and Syria, uh, people are starting to want to know how to help. And I didn't know if there are any kind of uh, relief efforts being mobilized here in the United States to help people over in Turkey and Syria who are victims of this earthquake. 
Right. So um, we have a sister organization based in New Jersey. Um, it's called Embrace Relief. Uh, it's a nonprofit organization, 501c3. Um, so they started a campaign um, in conjunction with other um, relief organization. So this campaign is, is is collecting money for the victims of earthquake. And they also have um, blanket drive, you know, cloth drive, um, medical supplies drive. But mainly um, what I share is that um, this link, campaign link with my friends, with my uh, neighbors, um, you know, colleagues, um, if anybody likes to donate and, um, you know, um, give to this campaign, they are welcome to do so um, because um, we have a lot of people who are in need of help. Um, they, they need, you know, blankets, uh, tents, medical supplies, clothes, food, you know, water, so everything uh, technically. Um, and I'll be happy to share the link with you um, after this conversation and you, you are welcome to share with others. Absolutely. We'll put that in the show links. And just in case uh, our listeners did not catch it the first time, what was the name of that organization? It's called Embrace Relief. Okay, great. Well, uh, Mohammed, this situations like this, tragedies, catastrophes like this, remind me about the importance of the work that you do at the Dialogue Institute of Oklahoma and the Raindrop Turkish House here in Oklahoma. How important is that dialogue and the understanding between cultures and faiths when it comes to people working together at moments of catastrophes like this? It's a good question. Um, so first of all, I think like, you know, during difficult times, seeing this support um, um, you know, coming from your friends, from your uh, from your uh, community, is, is, is a lot. So, um, as I mentioned earlier, I receive a lot of phone calls, a lot of text messages, emails, um, from friends that they are asking, what can we do? We are praying for you, for your family, for your people. We are here uh, for you. Um, don't feel, don't feel that you are alone on this. That gave me a lot of, um, you know, relief because, um, watching my, my people suffer from from a distance it's it's a lot to handle but when community members when faith leaders when um you know business leaders reach out and they ask what can we do to help you what can we do to um support um your people with that i feel i feel stronger and i feel like you know i'm better because um i think for such a tragedy working collectively will make things easier, a lot easier. I always use this example. As a mathematician, you know, um, the value of three individual one is just simply three because one plus one plus one is three. Mm. But imagine three individual one working shoulder to shoulder, hands to hands, their value would become 111. So compare 111 with three. The impact that we can make as a community, as the like in the faith communities, as the culture communities, each is is much bigger than our individual um, in, individual you know impact. So because of that, I urge all communities, all faith communities, all culture communities, leaders, business leaders, nonprofits, government agencies to 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 work together with the people of Turkey, 
with the uh, with the Turkish government, because such a tragedy cannot be handled, cannot be um, cannot be like you know um, technically um, we cannot help the Turkish people uh, by ourselves. But when we when we receive help, when we get support from other communities, other countries, other nonprofits, I think we will be able to make a bigger impact. We will be able to make a better impact uh, on the lives of Turkish people. Well, Mohammed, thank you so much uh, for joining us on Good Faith Weekly. Uh, our our heart goes out to you, your family, your beloved country of Turkey, the people of Syria. Our heart breaks for them, and the tragedy of this catastrophe is just mind-numbing. So I count you as a friend, but more importantly, I count you as a brother. And so if there's anything that we can do at Good Faith Media or our listeners can do, please do not hesitate to call back. We would love to, to do anything that we possibly can to help. And we will put those links in the show notes uh, in this episode so that you can go and, and donate to this cause. So, Mohammed, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Mitch, for reaching out and inviting me to share the updates um, about the earthquake. I really appreciate your, your friendship, your support. Uh, it means a lot. Um, like I said, you know, during these difficult times, this tragedy, I'm so grateful um, for people like you. Welcome back to Good Faith Weekly. On this episode, we've got a very special guest with us. Charmaine Brown is the founder of Jared's Heart of Success, a nonprofit providing gun and group violence intervention to Georgia and South Carolina communities. Mrs. Brown is a passionate leader for change in her community, partnering with local school districts and after-school programs to provide programming and counseling for youth. Mrs. Brown is an advocate for public safety measures with a strong desire to protect people from all forms of violence. As the CEO, Brown also collaborates with other organizations locally and nationally. You can find out more about Mrs. Brown and Jared's Heart of Success at their website, jaredsheartofsuccess.com. Charmaine, welcome to Good Faith Weekly. Good morning, and thank you for having me. Charmaine, thank you so much for joining us today. Let's begin by um, asking, can you tell us a little bit about Jared? Yes, Jared was the light in our family. We often referred to him as a comedian because he loved to tell jokes. He was always happy and never met a stranger. Matter of fact, everyone he met, he would often refer to them as family. So fun. He was loving, kind, very generous. Sounds just like a, a wonderful young man, but unfortunately something happened and Jared was struck down. Can you tell us a little bit about that? On July the 11th, 2015, um, my son, he was on his way home for the evening from work when he received a telephone call from a friend inviting him to attend a neighborhood cookout. Jared had no idea that friend had a conflict with someone earlier that day. The friend was playing video games that morning with a young man. He exchanged $30 to purchase what we later learned was a broken Xbox. Mm. That man wanted his money back and he decided that he would seek revenge. And he showed up at a neighborhood cookout armed and unloaded his firearm. As my son was walking up, he was struck in the forehead several times and died instantly. My husband and I were out of town at the time. When we returned home, several days later, 
in which my husband found a note that was left on our front door from the Fulton County Medical Examiner's Office. And upon returning the call, we learned what would change our lives forever. Wow. So how, I mean, I just can't imagine uh, what you and your husband went through as a family. I just can't imagine that. And it just breaks my heart to hear that story again. Um, we were devastated. Um, just could not imagine what had taken place. And so as a family, just broken, traumatized, and it's a pain that we continue to live with each and every day. Mm-hmm. Now, you decided to use your son's tragic death to begin engaging in advocacy. So tell our listeners about Jared's Heart for Success. Jared Heart of Success um, is a nonprofit that I started in his honor. And we educate and empower youth through effective communication, focusing on conflict resolution skills. And the organization, um, we work, we have an after school program as well as a conflict resolution program, teaching youth and young adults how to be able to handle conflict in a manner that if they were confronted, they would be able to handle it in a peaceful manner. Charmaine, as a person of faith, talk to us about how your faith helped you through dealing with Jared's death and also how it how it affects your your drive and your passion for this program. My faith, it has kept me grounded in a way that has helped me learn how to deal with the pain that never goes away. Of course, again, much prayer, consistent prayer on a daily basis. Now, Charmaine, I mean, your faith... Uh has to inspire the work that you're doing. I mean, not only does the memory of your son and the legacy of your son uh, is a driving force behind your advocacy for gun safety and uh, sensible gun legislation, how has your faith shaped your understanding of the need for gun safety, the need for gun legislation? Is there something about your faith that leads you to uh, fight for these causes? Uh, Is there something there, your faith guiding you along those ways? I truly believe that my faith is um, what, again, has kept me grounded and in a way that that I have to keep going. Um, It it motivates me. It gives me the strength to actually keep going. Mm -hmm. I know that for gun violence, advocacy is a is a big part into being able to propel um, the help that is so needed. I often refer to the scripture that's in the Bible that faith without works is dead. And so for me, the advocacy piece is so important. Mm-hmm. So definitely my faith has, has kept me going. Yeah. Well, you just seem like a person of peace, a person of inspiration and we're thankful that your faith is driving you forward to bring uh, peace to the world. So well done. Well, let's turn our attention to recent news. Last month, a Virginia teacher was shot by her six-year-old student. She survived the shooting. Also, a 14-year-old girl was shot and killed, or shot and killed an 11-year-old in Texas. So, Charmaine, in your work and in your observation of what's going on in the country at large and on the state level, how can we keep guns out of the hands of children? 
Um, what I believe about that is that secure storage is an essential part of home safety. Um, so with more guns and homes due to the unprecedented surge in gun sales over the past several years, it's, it's so important for parents and caregivers to know how to, you know, secure storage because it does protect children. So do you know, Charmaine, can you talk to us about any federal or state elected officials that are doing anything to curb gun violence? Is there any sort of legislation that you feel is giving hope to us moving forward that, that things might change? Um, yes, well, mostly um, at the state level. So what I would say and what I do know that in Georgia and South Carolina, there has not been a lot of movement on these laws. But in other states like Washington and Oregon, there are strong, secure storage laws. And there are bills now that will require K through 12 grade schools to distribute information on secure storage requirements. Um, I think the one policy right now that would help is the policies that surround safe storage. Um, Firearms should be stored safely and away from ammunition. So safe storage prevents children and other persons from assessing firearms. Charmaine, I want to go back to um, Jared's uh, Heart of Success. Tell us a little bit about some of the the programs that are held in through this, this program that you've created. Right now, again, like I spoke about earlier, is our conflict resolution program. Um, within our conflict resolution program, we use a conflict management framework. And it's associated with the Castle competency and its surrounding self-management, self-awareness, um, social awareness, relationship skill building, and responsible decision making. So that is one of the programs that we really highlight and work with youth in our after-school program with. Now, Charmaine, you actually live in DeKalb County. Is that correct? Yes, I do. Working with youth uh, on a daily basis uh, through Jared's program, what are you seeing as the greatest need for these youth? Because obviously there are times where they're turning to violence or turning to things that they, they shouldn't be turning to. What are some of the greatest needs that you see uh, in the, the youth that you work with? I would say the greatest need right now is to be able to teach them um, how to be able to handle conflict um, and be able to control um, their emotions. Mm. Um, and again, um, one of the things that we really work with them in is being able to um, be empathetic. Um, I think that when you treat others the way you want to be treated, that really helps um, in addition with your emotions and being able to control your emotions. Um, so one thing um, we do is definitely teach them about how to be able to identify their emotions and their interests and then be able to analyze what the situation is. We want them to have a complete understanding of the what and why so that they will be able to manage or resolve any type of conflict. We know that all conflicts cannot be resolved, but it, but you can come to a mutual understanding of how to manage it. And then again, um, to just lead with empathy, acknowledge and empathize. That is a great, um, there's a great need for that. Um, and then be able to uh, build relationships, being able to um, work with one another. 
And then the lastly is to make that call and have a complete understanding that you need to do the right thing. Because sometimes mm-hmm. the decisions that you make can be, you know, res- can result in a manner that you cannot come back from, meaning in our situation, you know, what turned to be tragic. Uh, wise words. You also are an advocate for Moms Demand Action in every town. So tell us a little bit about your work with Moms Demand Action. For Moms Demand Action, um, I serve as a chapter lead um, for the DeKalb chapter. And that's how I actually even got started. Once um, we, about a year after, later after um, our tragedy, you know, I was on Facebook and I was trying to find an organization that I could work alongside and help in the way of advocacy because I knew that legislation would play a great deal with getting laws changed. And I found Moms Demand Action and, you know, I love what they stood for. And I joined them. And through Moms Demand Action, I learned about Every Town for Gun Safety. And so through those two organizations, it has really helped me be able to elevate um, my work in advocacy, but also was an outlet and a direction that has helped propel me in learning more about the legislative work that was going forward. And what I really love about this relationship is that you're doing the – uh, neighborhood work, the community work with Jared's Heart of Success, working with young men and young women uh, there in neighborhoods that you live in. But then also you're working with Moms Demand Action that is addressing federal legislation uh, and federal yeah. policies, and then also their state chapters, uh, like you were talking about, that are working on state legislatures that are trying to pass laws. So, I mean, this is a great model, <laughs> Charmaine, that you have for people who want to get involved because that's our next question is uh, we our listeners are really, really concerned about the rise of gun violence in the United States. And they're really wanting to know some tangible things that they can engage in to help quell gun violence in their community. So what advice that would you have for our listeners to help quell that gun violence? Well, one thing, um, um, Moms Demand Action, they have a Be Smart program. And that is one of the many models that can be used by anyone, including public you know, officials and members of the community, to just simply build awareness around the importance of secure firearm storage. And a little bit about um, the Be Smart framework that I like, it is designed to help parents and adults just have normal conversations about gun safety Mm -hmm. and then just take responsible actions that could prevent gun deaths and injuries. And it's just simply modeling, um, which the S stands for secure all guns in your home and vehicles. The M, model responsible behavior around guns. The A, asks about the presence of unsecured guns in other homes. And then are recognize the role of guns in suicide and T to tell your peers to be smart. Mm. I love that because that's just a simple framework that anyone can use. So I would definitely say that is a great tool that members of the community can build awareness about the importance of the safe storage. And then the second I would say is to just get involved with your local legislators in your community to be able to share your concerns on passing legislation or secure storage. 
And now you can find out more about the Be Smart campaign and secure storage at besmartforkids.org. So, Charmaine, thank you so much for joining us today and for sharing about Jared and and your work now that you do in advocating for um, or against gun violence. As you know, our tagline at Good Faith Media is there's more to tell. So in light of your work and our conversation today, what is your more to tell? Help us, help legislation get passed. Legislation save lives and it can prevent gun violence. And we need to get these bills passed into law. So my more to tell, I would say, is to get involved, help us advocate to save lives. Charmaine Brown, thank you so much. Charmaine is the founder of Jared's Heart of Success. You can find out more about that program at jaredsheartofsuccess.com. And you can find out more about gun safety and the SMART program at momsdemandaction.org. Charmaine, first and foremost, our heart goes out to you and your family. We are extremely sorry for your loss. Our prayers are with you and your story is inspiring to us. And we want to roll up our sleeves and get to work so that other families do not have to suffer the tragedy that you suffered in losing Jared. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Hope that you enjoyed the interviews with Muhammad Ali Cesar as well as Charmaine Brown. Two very thoughtful people doing some incredible work. Lots of critical issues going on in the world. And at Good Faith Media, we are just glad to be able to amplify these incredible voices who are doing this very important work across the world. Well, Missy will be back in studio next week, and we will unpack the news, have another incredible guest. Our guest next week is going to be the new president of Fuller Seminary out in California, President Reverend Dr. David Goatley. So it's going to be a good episode. Until next week, keep living good faith. You've been listening to Good Faith Weekly, hosted by Mitch and Missy Randall. This weekly podcast from Good Faith Media discusses matters of faith and culture. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast and give us a like and a glowing review. We produce the podcast out of Norman, Oklahoma. Our music comes from Pond 5. And we're supported by listeners like you. Learn more about us at goodfaithmedia.org.